if you have your Bibles, please open them to John chapter 7. We're going to be in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 as we're continuing our series focusing on the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. Now the subtitle of this series is Jesus in His Own Words. And so I hope that, my hope is that all of us will hear Jesus in His own words and we will understand Him more clearly and we will follow Him more faithfully. Now as I mentioned last week, as we look at these I am statements in John, um, there are two very important notes of context. The first is the historical biblical context of God's own name. When God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, and this, was the, this, was what, this is what God said in Exodus 3, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is the name that I will forever be remembered by among the people of Israel. So when Jesus takes the Greek form of this statement, ego I me, that's the Greek form of it, um, when he takes that statement upon his lips in John, he's claiming something that no ordinary Jew would have ever come close to saying for fear of blaspheming the name of God. And we're going to see this is what gets Jesus into trouble. And this is eventually what leads him to being crucified for claiming himself to be God. Okay? Now, the second item of consideration is for all of us in our own personal context. All of us have to individually come to terms with what Jesus says about himself. Is Jesus who he claims to be? Let me tell you, this is an incredibly important question because I'll be the first to tell you. If Jesus isn't who, who he says to be, then what we're doing in here is stupid. This is foolishness. This is vanity. As Paul said, if Christ, if, if Christ is not raised from the dead, if he's not who he says he is, we're all still dead in our sins. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It won't matter. And so we have to come to terms with who Jesus is. As C.S. Lewis said, he's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. Which means he's a crazy guy who believes he's God when he's not, or he's one of the greatest deceivers of all time. A billion plus people deceived right now in the world, if that's what that means. Or, he really is who he says he is. And so, my hope is you'll come to the same conclusion as C.S. Lewis. And with that conclusion, you'll love and cherish Jesus above all this world offers. Now, last week, we looked at Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am what gives you life and sustenance. I'm the one who sustains you. And today, Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. John, as usual, is going to point out how people struggle with Jesus' claims, and they miss the truth of what he's trying to reveal. So, whether that's Nicodemus in chapter 3, who thinks you need to be born again, or the woman at the well, who's tired of coming to the well and just wants better water. Jesus is like, you missed it. I'm the water of life. You need to drink of me. Or the religious leaders in chapter 5, or the crowds following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee last week, who followed Jesus not because he is who he says he is, but because they really wanted more bread. They really wanted more bread. So, let's look at Jesus now in John chapter 7, following, at, following on this episode. And I'll give you three basic categories here, okay? Three, three, three things we're going to look at. Number one, first, notice that Jesus is going to reveal himself on his own terms, Jesus always reveals himself on his own terms. 
Look at me at chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. This is a very interesting story here. It says, Jesus is at the Feast of Booths. He says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, and he would not go into Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths, or Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not. Sorry, he says, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, the religious leaders, no one spoke openly of him. So right here, we find Jesus at the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. It's called also, as I said, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you might not care much about that, but this is incredibly important context, okay? This seven-day feast coincided with the gathering of the harvest each year, okay? It was meant and instituted all the way back in the Old Testament after the Exodus. It was instituted for them so that it would remind them of their wilderness wanderings when they had to live in tents. They had to live in booths. They didn't have homes or, or their own place yet. They had to wander around following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Okay, And they had to trust God for provision. God had to give them bread. God had to give them water. God had to give them protection and guidance as he led them day by day. But this festival also pointed, it also pointed to the promised day when God would pour out his spirit like water on his people. Okay, so that's the context of this feast. Now in our text... We see Jesus' unbelieving brothers, right? This would include James, who wrote the letter of James, prodding Jesus to reveal himself openly and publicly on their terms. That's what they want. Hey, Jesus, you want to be famous? Do what we say. We'll make you famous. Jesus doesn't want any of it. Their terms are worldly, unbelieving terms. Jesus, however, intends to reveal himself according to the Father's will and in the Father's appointed way. That's why Jesus says, my time has not fully come. Now, at this particular festival of booths, or feast of booths, Jesus does choose to reveal himself to people very specifically. Okay? And just as an aside for another day, every Old Testament feast points to Jesus. All of them. The Passover the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booze, the Day of Atonement, all of them point and find their ultimate, ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. That's for another day. Now, according to scholars, this is a quote, okay? This is what's going on at this feast, okay? Now, according to scholars, quote, there were two great ceremonies during the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. One was the pouring out of the water. 
The other was called the illumination of the temple. It took place in the treasury at the beginning um, of the feast, okay? It was a, particu- a spectacular celebration, both in its concept and in its annual observance. In the center of the treasury, four great torches were set up. Some accounts say that the torches were as high as the highest walls of the temple. And let me tell y'all, that would be high, okay? Everybody would have been able to see this from miles and miles around on top of Mount Moriah, on top of the temple. Giant torches, okay? And he says, um, there was a, he says uh, uh, the torches were as high as the highest walls of the temple, and at the top of these golden candelabra were great bowls holding 65 liters of oil. There was a ladder for each one, and in the evening, young, healthy priests would carry up the oil to the top. Now, I think it's funny they said young, healthy ones would have to do that. For those of us that have back problems, that, that makes sense to you these days. Um, and he says, the great flames that leapt out of these torches illuminated the whole temple and Jerusalem, and the people would dance until dawn. That's what's going on at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now look at, skip down in chapter 7 to verses 37 through 39. Chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Look what it says here, what Jesus does. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Okay, now Jesus claims here in this chapter 7, he claims to be the very fulfillment of this feast. I am what this is about. Okay, he is the water that has been provided and poured out in the desert. He is the rock that was struck in the wilderness. He is the one who will pour out his spirit and bring spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Like John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one who's coming after me is greater than me. I'm unworthy to untie his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that all of this happens by faith in him. Hear me. Hear the words of Jesus. He says, if you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. But you must come to him on his terms and not yours. Listen, there is no negotiating with Jesus. You don't get to set the terms. Jesus is Lord. He says, you must come to me. You must come and repent and believe and receive me as life. Listen, you will either have him as your all or not have him at all. You will either have him as your all or not at all. Again, I point to my watch all the time. Jesus is not an accessory that we can just take off and put to the side whenever we want. He's not something that dresses up our life and makes things better or happier. He is life itself. He is life. So, you will either come to him completely for light and life, or you will remain spiritually dead and in darkness. So, Jesus reveals himself on his own terms, and you must come to him on his terms. Second, notice what Jesus says. 
He says, I am the light of the world. This is, go to chapter 8 and look now at our text beginning in verse 12. It says, again, this is at the same festival. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, just think of this. During the last day of the feast at evening, during the illumination when the giant candelabra is lit, Jesus stands and claims, I am the light of the world. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean, I am the light of the world? So, take a journey with me briefly, okay? This is Old Testament language. The Old Testament is filled with the language of light and illumination. From the very beginning of Genesis, when God is speaking everything into existence, God himself is the light, and he is the light giver. He is the one who says, let there be light. And as celebrated in this very festival, it was God himself, as I mentioned, who illumined Israel's journey by his Shekinah glory in the wilderness. It was the very light of God's glory that fills Solomon's temple in the Old Testament at its dedication. And it's that very glory that departs during the days of Ezekiel. And from that moment in Israel's history when the glory departs, the illumination of Israel departs. The people of Israel have been longing for the light of God's glory to return to the temple. And so all of the prophets turn their attention during the, during the exile to there's coming a day when the glory will return. The light of Israel will return. And there's coming a day when God's glory will be seen. And so the Old Testament promises that the light of God's glory will come back. And that promise is tied to the coming Messiah where God would, through him, shine the light of his glory again on Israel. But hear me, here's the great news. But not just on Israel, he would be the light of the world. Not just a local country in a small place. The one that is coming is going to shine the light of God's glory on the entire world. For example, Isaiah 9-2 says, and we read this at Christmas, For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has come. Or Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's Christmas already. Think about this. Is it any wonder that at Jesus' birth, we we meet Zechariah who says this, He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. And then when Jesus is dedicated at the temple, he meets Simeon. And Simeon says this in Luke 2. He says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So all of this is promising that a light is coming. And this light will not just be for Israel, but it will be for the nations, all peoples, everywhere. But even more striking is the promise of Zechariah 14. 
in the Old Testament that would have been read during this festival. This is part of the liturgy of this festival. Listen to what it says in Zechariah. And then hear the words of Jesus. In Zechariah it says, Then the Lord my God will come, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living water shall flow out of Jerusalem to the eastern sea and to the western sea, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Light and life, light and water will flow out of Jerusalem. And Jesus at this great feast says both of those things. I am, come to me, you are thirsty. I am the water. You that are in darkness, come to me, I am the light. So here Jesus stands fulfilling this very promise. So what does all this mean? Let me tell you what this means. Jesus here, think about why the folks are angry with him. Jesus here is claiming that he is the one who guided Israel in the wilderness. I am the light that guided you. He is the one, he is the one who filled the temple. He is the very outshining of the glory of God. As Hebrews says, he is the radiance of his glory. He is the one who gives light and life. He is the one who pours out the very Spirit of God. Jesus alone brings salvation and life to the world, to the nations, to all people. Is it any wonder why John begins his gospel with this very theme? He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he says, and he skipped down, and he says, um, he is the true light which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. But all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, who were born not of the blood of not of, nor not of blood nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And just think as you track on through the Gospels, Jesus takes his disciples up on Mount Tabor. Uh, Peter, James, and John, and he peels back his flesh and he shows them the light of his glory. And he shines like the noonday sun in the middle of the night. So think of this. Jesus stands and says, come to him. Do not continue to walk in darkness. Drink, eat, find light, find life by faith in him. But there's, here's the downside. The downside is my final section. That is those who choose to remain in darkness. Jesus invites all to come to him, but yet there are always those who choose to remain in darkness. Now, the rest of our text, I can't read it all, the rest of our text is an extended narrative of how the Pharisees and the religious leaders object to the claims of Jesus that he makes at the height of this festival. They refuse to come to him for life. They remain in unbelief and darkness. And this darkness is what keeps them from seeing and understanding the spiritual truth in front of them. So let me show you how Jesus points out their darkness in five statements. You can write this down. This is all negative. This is what it looks like to remain in darkness. There are things you cannot know or understand if you do not come to the light. And this is what they are. First, because they remain in darkness, in the darkness of unbelief, first, they cannot accept Jesus' authority or understand his mission. Because they remain in darkness, they cannot accept Jesus' authority or understand his mission. Look at chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. 
He says, so after Jesus says, I am the light of the world, come to me and you'll never walk in darkness. The Pharisees say to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're questioning his authority. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. So they want to argue about Jesus' authority, and yet they refuse to take, in the Gospel of John, the testimony of John the Baptist, who points as a testimony that I'm the one who came before him, and nor do they accept the, uh, the, the they refuse to take the Father's seal on Jesus' mission by his miracles and his eventual death in the place of sinners. Second, so they, don't, they can't accept Jesus' authority or understand his mission. There are people all around our world, when they look at us, that gather every Sunday on church, and they go... I don't know why you listen to Jesus as a 2,000-year-old myth. And I absolutely, absolutely don't understand why you think there's a mission. It happens still today. The world's in darkness. Second, they cannot understand spiritual realities because they're separated from spiritual life. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. This is the same thing that he had said to Nicodemus. How can I tell you heavenly things if you can't even understand the earthly things? I'm from above. I'm not from the earth. So Jesus says there at the end of verse 23, skip down to verse 23, he says, you are from below, I am from above. So they're worldly, fleshly, and this keeps them from seeing and hearing Jesus. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can only think in material terms. The Bible says you must be born from above. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. The spiritually dead need spiritual life. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Third, third, they remain in darkness. Because they remain in the darkness of unbelief, they are ignorant of who Jesus really is and his unique relationship to the Father. They can't understand Jesus and his unique relationship to the Father. Look at verse 19. Jesus tells them. Because they go and start asking Jesus about his real, about, about, about Joseph. And look what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, you know neither me nor my father. You don't know who I really am, and you don't know who my father really is. He says, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Now listen, though these religious leaders are the stewards of God's revelation in the Old Testament, they're the stewards, these are the priests, these are the religious leaders, these are those who study the scriptures, and they think in the scriptures they have life. And Jesus says, it's those scriptures that testify about me. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me. And he said, now, if you, think, if, if you knew me, you would know the Father. They're ironically, though they're the teachers of Israel, blind to the truth of Christ. And Jesus says, without coming to him, they will remain separated from the Father. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. This is incredibly important. Jesus says, I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am... You will die in your sins. Jesus reiterates it. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus goes right back at him with this I am statement. You must believe that I am the light of the world. I am the one that all, of that old, all the Old Testament was pointing to. Fourth, because they do not know Jesus, they will not be with him or the Father after death. This is darkness. This is eternal spiritual darkness. Because they do not know Jesus and remain in unbelief and in darkness, they will not be with him or the Father after death. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I'm going away. 
He's speaking about his death and resurrection here. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins and where I am going, you cannot come. And in their mind, they think Jesus is going to kill himself. That's pretty convenient, right? That, that would alleviate their incredible problem they have with him. He's just going to kill himself. And Jesus says, no, the, the spiritual truth here is that if you do not come to me, you will be eternally separated from me and the Father forever. Again, the only path to eternal life and to the Father is through Jesus. You've got to make sense of that. Either he's a liar, and that's not true, or he's a deceiver, and that's not true, or that is the truth. And fifth, because they do not come to Christ, they cannot rightly understand the revelation they've already been given. Because they, because they refuse to come to Jesus, they cannot even rightly understand the Old Testament revelation they've been given. Look at what Jesus says in verses 52 through 59 as we wrap this up. Skip down to verses 52 through 59. This is a long chapter, and that's why we can't read all of it. Skip down there to verses 52 through 59. It says, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon, because he's talking about Abraham. He says, Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw the day of Jesus coming by faith. He believed the gospel by faith. And he said, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. <laughs> yeah. But he hid himself and went out of the temple. The whole story of Abraham and the whole story of Israel all only matters in, li in the light that it's pointing towards Jesus. It's all pointing towards Jesus. Now here, let me say this as I close. Because this is how light and darkness works in the Bible, okay? I want you to pay attention. Give me, give me two minutes. Two minutes. Pay attention. This is, this is one of the most important things I'm going to say to you. When Jesus is believed on, when Jesus is treasured and loved, when he is followed and trusted and obeyed, he is light and life. That's who he is. He's light and in life, but here's the, here's the converse. But when unbelief continues, when our hearts are hardened, then our eyes and souls are darkened, and Jesus becomes darkness. One commentator pointed out that truth by saying this quote, Hugh Hefner was raised in a minister's home, Joseph Stalin studied to be a priest. Mao Zedong was raised under missionary teaching. And the same could be true for all of the many that have been raised in this church and ultimately walked away from Jesus. You see, you can sit in here week by week and harden your heart and not believe on Christ, and Jesus will be darkness. You will either love him or you will hate him. 
Is it any world? Is it any wonder that the world hates Jesus? Because there is no mingling of light and darkness. That's what happens. This is the effect that the gospel has on all people. It will either open their eyes and let them see or harden them in their darkness. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel, who is the image of God. Uh, the, The light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now here's the good news. The good news is that no one has to stay in darkness. The Bible says you stay in darkness because you love it. You love it. You love it because if you come to the light, you have to, your deeds will be exposed. That's why the first step of conversion is this floodlight of God's glory on our sin. It says, look at you. You're darkness. You are darkness. You are, you are in darkness. And the, when the light of that shines on you, you say, Jesus is all I need. I'm going to come to him. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus offers himself as light and life. Jesus says anyone can come to him and find what their souls have ultimately been looking for. So instead of walking and living in darkness, come to Jesus and find illumination and spiritual understanding. In Christ, all of our spiritual darkness is undone. And the floodlight of the Holy Spirit Turned, is turned onto our minds and our hearts and understanding. So the question this morning is, will you remain in darkness or will you come to light? Because Jesus stands at this festival of light and he says, I am the light of the world. I am what you have been longing for. Would you pray with me? Father, would you bless the preaching of your word? Father, I pray for any in this room that are struggling, they're skeptical, they're, 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 they're working this out in their minds. And Father, I pray that they would, that by faith, Lord, they would look to Jesus. They would look to Him as light, as bread, as life, as the water. And Father, they would drink deeply and their soul would be satisfied. But Father, that takes us looking to Him by faith and saying, I will follow you no matter what. So Father, we pray that you would speak and move now for Jesus' sake. Amen.